thank you, praise team, for always leading us to the throne room of God and praising God and preaching to each other about God in song. So last week, we began a series entitled The Gospel, The Church, and Race. And again, I've got a lot to cover, so I want to jump right in. Now, given the intense nature of what's going on in our culture revolving around the subject of race, it is imperative that if you missed last week's teaching that you go back and listen to it. Um, I got a lot of emails and texts and phone calls, and it was awesome just hearing so many of the wide variety of uh, reactions, and I want those some more. But a lot of the reactions that you had, I addressed last week. And so I need you to go listen to that and, um, and, and hear that, because I'm tempted to re-preach it today, and you don't want to stay here till Tuesday. So, um, so please go do that. So I won't re-preach it today, but last week, we opened our Bibles, and we learned that the subject of race is the church's business. We got that from our Bible. Okay, we don't just look at the culture, and because it's hyper-focused on right now, and react to that and make it a Christian subject, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. As your preacher, I want you to know how to approach topics that are hot in our culture in a kingdom, Christ-like way. So there's nothing wrong with that, but we didn't do that. We opened up Scripture, and we showed from there that whether the culture is talking about it or not, the church is too, We are supposed to because it is a part of his uh, vision for the church. And honestly, I was glad to do it last week, but I don't have to go any farther than the second part of the greatest commandment, do I? Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't have to go any farther than that. And we call ourselves a great commission, great commandment church. And so race is the church's business. And that's what we discussed. We discussed that if you as a disciple of Jesus or we as a church that is actually of Christ— neglect the subject of race. If we neglect it, then we are neglecting God's vision overtly spoken in Scripture for his church, which includes the nations, all ethnicities, all races. So we talked about that last week. This week, I want to discuss with you how if you're neglecting the intentional overt focus on the subject of race as a Christian, or we as a church are doing that, that you or we are neglecting the gospel the gospel message, the very centerpiece of what, what we revolve our life around. Because race is ingrained in the gospel. That's what I want to show you today. Now, before we do that, I just want to remind you that the highlight of this four-week series is next week. Our guest speaker, Dr. Jerry Taylor, who I introduced to you last week. Some of you already know him. He's an associate professor of Bible, missions, and ministry at Abilene Christian University. And he's also the founding director of the Carl Spain Center on Race Studies and Spiritual Action. And so I met with him a few months ago and I asked him, what can we, in light of what's going on in culture, what can we do as Christians? What can the church do to be and be a catalyst of racial healing and unity? And he told me. He told me, and he's working towards that as a calling upon his life. And I said, would you come tell our church that? And he said, yes. So next week, if you want to know what to do, If you want to hear from someone who is doing something and you want to hear his opinion of the church's role, you do not want to miss that next week. Okay, so to start today, I want to 
I want you to notice that I, I used a phrase last week. I found myself using a phrase, and I just used it. This, this phrase, racial healing and unity, as a summary of God's vision for his church. He wants the church to be in ever-increasing measure, and not just in our lifetime, yes, in that, but since the founding of the church, since Jesus, he's wanted us to progress, and he is always, he's never gotten tired of laying out the vision of his church, okay, as a place of racial healing and unity, all right? And so the term that you might hear more often that I didn't use last week is racial reconciliation. That's a great term. It's a biblical term, in fact. But I just wanted to parse out a little bit more detail about what makes up reconciliation. And those two words capture it for me. It, racial healing, that honors our past, our history. As a human race, but also as a church, it honors that there is some healing that needs to happen. So we want to be a place of healing. And then unity. And that honors our present and the dream of the future. That we become this beacon of light of what it's supposed to look like on the earth. We expect that the earth doesn't look like God's vision. We're the ones that are supposed to become that city on a hill. And show what it's supposed to look like and how good and beautiful it can be. So, racial healing and unity or reconciliation, I use those interchangeably. Now, the enemy, there is an enemy of racial healing and unity, of reconciliation, okay, in the church. It's in the world too, of course, but we're talking about in the church. And perhaps you've heard of it. It's called racism. Racism is the enemy of racial healing and unity. Now, what is racism? Here's, here's my simple definition, simple definition for, that we'll be using for today. Racism is happening wherever racial differences are influencing negatively how someone is viewed or treated. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Racism is happening wherever racial differences are influencing negatively how someone is viewed or treated. Okay? So that can happen anywhere. It can happen inside of me. It can happen inside of an individual. It can happen inside of a church. It can happen, of course, in the world. It is happening in the world. We expect it to happen in the world. Okay? It can happen in, in uh, organizations. It can happen in nations. It can happen in institutions. It can, where somehow embedded in any of us or those things, racial differences influence negatively how someone is viewed or treated. That's what racism is. Now, out there in our culture, we've been taught to be really scared of being guilty of racism. I mean scared, right? We see that out there. They've elevated the term racist at, to the level of worthy of punishment. Okay, like if you, if you have ever or currently struggle with that, if you get out there, they have really raised it up as something that we need to be super defensive about. But not in here. I, just, I know that's not true in here, right? We're, we don't do that. We don't, we don't operate like the world does. Racism is not, it's something we shouldn't do, but it's not something we're scary. It has not been lifted up as the unforgivable sin in the kingdom, only in our culture right now. And that won't last. But that's what's happening out there, and that has influenced us in here. But in here, we don't do that. We don't do that. We, don't, we, don't, we are no more afraid that we might have some racism in us than we are afraid we might have some selfishness in us, right? I mean, that, we're just not afraid of 
being guilty of racism. We don't fear that. We don't want to be that any more than we want to be selfish. But we don't fear it because we live under the banner of grace. We live under this banner of love. We want to know where we're selfish so we can apply Christ to it and change. Same thing with racism. That's all. I want to know where I'm racist. I mean, it would be bold and unreasonable. Imagine if I got up here and said, and any of us said this, if we said, I've never been ever, I've never ever been selfish, and I'm not in any way selfish now, and there is no circumstance that could arise that might reveal in any way that I might have some selfishness in me. I mean, y'all would would look at each other and roll your eyes and go, my goodness. That would be ridiculous. We live in a world that is selfish and sometimes even exalts selfishness under other names. And we live in that world, and so we're influenced by that. And so hopefully we're healed and healing from selfishness. Right? That's, that's the best we can do. Humility demands that. Well, I want to propose that it would be just as bold for you to say, and unreasonable for you to say, I have never dealt with racism, and I am not in any way racist now, nor is there any circumstance that might reveal to me some racism resides in me. We don't have to be afraid of that any more than we're afraid of selfishness. Humility demands. We live in this world that is racist. We are, we are molded and shaped by this world in many ways, so we are eager to find out in here where that might have happened. So hopefully we are healed and healing from racism. It's a journey, just like anything else. So we don't do it like the world. I'm just afraid that because the world is so lifted, that, that racist label to such levels of unforgivable sin that you just feel like you have no choice. No choice but to defend yourself. I am not a racist. I, I have no racism in me. Because you feel like that identifies you permanently and forever as an unredeemable, bad, or evil person. And that's not worthy of forgiveness, but deserving of punishment. The world says that. But we don't do that in here. We don't do that in here. We're not intimidated by this. And humility just demands that we lay down our defenses just be open and unafraid. So let me tell you a story to exemplify this. That it's a pretty powerful story. This is about a couple that I know, that I met. And uh, they both grew up in these awesome Christian families. And they, I mean, they are just great Christian couple. And they meet each other. They get married. They have kids and they raise their kids. They're active in the church. Just massive servants, beautiful hearts. Loving of all people. They're awesome. They raise their kids to be the same. Their kids accept Christ. They're growing up. They're becoming young adults. They send their daughter to Christian college. And in this college, she finds a man that's just perfect. Everything the Bible tells her that she's to find in a husband, she found in him. And everything that the Bible tells him to find in a wife, she fi- he finds in her. And he's black. And this awesome, good, godly couple was not for this for their daughter. And, and if the subject, and it did, came up that, hey, perhaps, perhaps there, there's something, some racism in you that's going into this, they would have said, no, we're not racist. And they would tell stories, they could tell stories like many of us do, tell stories where we exhibit how we're not racist, okay? And they would defend that they're not racist. But they didn't have to do that. All they had to do was point at each other 
because one was Hispanic and one was white. And their interracial daughter wanted to marry this black man, Christian man, and they didn't want that. And if you said this might be, they would not have, if you asked them why they're doing that, they would not have said, oh, because we have happened upon a circumstance that has exposed that we have some racism in us, that we hold, you know, um, it's, it's wherever, uh, it's wherever because of racial differences, someone is viewed or treated negatively. That's exactly what's happening in this instance, but they wouldn't have said that. Oh, we've found a circumstance where we treat someone negatively or we view someone negatively because of their race. They wouldn't have said that. They would have said, we just love our daughter. I'm not a racist. They'd point to each other and then they'd just say, we just love our daughter. And, they, and, and we have nothing against this young man. It's just that they are choosing a life that's going to be hard. And they're just thinking it's, it's loving. That's not how they're taking it. It's not how they're feeling it. But that's what they're saying. And so before you quickly judge this couple and, and go, man, they're, they're an interracial couple and they're judging their daughter wanting to be in an interracial marriage. And before you do that, be careful. These are good and godly people that just struggle with some racism. They wouldn't want to be defined as racist any more than you or I would. They would not think that they exhibit racism any more than maybe you do. So humility demands that we be open and humbled to learning where we, even as Christians, are unintentionally harboring some racism. And it's our job as we follow Jesus to allow God to just disciple that out of us. That's all we're talking about. I don't want to undersell it. It's a big deal. Selfishness is too. Selfishness stands in the way of your enjoying the kingdom. Selfishness compromises your testimony to the world. Selfishness stands opposed to everything Jesus is about. It's a big deal, but we're not afraid of it. We want to identify it and get it out. Same is true of racism. So uh, currently out there, I know the accusation of racism is scary, but not in here. Not in here. We We don't do that. So the enemy that we're fighting, back to this, whether it's found in ourselves or it's found in the church or it's found in the world, is racism. And the solution to racism, our solution to racism as Christians, is the gospel. You may not have known that. It's the gospel. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. I have been studying and preparing for this for like six months, and I've listened to dozens of talks from, from our brothers of color and, and folks that are white and, and everything in between and on this subject. And they are, all of them either preach Ephesians 2 or they mention Ephesians 2. And now I know why. Ephesians 2 gives us a framework for how the gospel, the centrality of the gospel and God's intent for his church results in racial healing and unity. It's right here. It's important to know this. So Ephesians 2, the first half, verses 1 through 10, is this great explanation of the gospel between you and God, okay? Just between us and God, the vertical gospel. There's a horizontal aspect to the gospel too, but, but this talks about the vertical gospel. So I won't go through the whole thing, but just suffice it to say, you probably heard a sermon on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, because it's just a beautiful explanation by Paul of what the gospel is. Verses 1 through 3, he says how we used to be dead in our transgressions and sins. 
Okay, that's, that's how we used to be. We used to be influenced by the enemy, Satan. We, we used to be in, you know, influenced by the world. It mentions that we satisfy the flesh, the cravings of our nature. That's how we used to be. That's what happened. And then verse 4 and 5. I will read this because this is the, the beautiful message of the gospel. But because of his great love for us, God, that should be underlined in everyone's Bible. This is the difference maker. This is our message. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Amen. So then he goes on in verses 6 through 10, and he he mentions some of what this grace entails. You're raised up with Christ. We are in Christ. He expressed his kindness through Christ. It's not by works. It's not because you're going to clean up your act and get good enough to get to heaven. It's not by works that you're saved, but by grace, by your faith in Jesus and what he did. Not what you're doing, what he did. He literally says, it's a gift. Our message You you can stop trying so hard to be saved because the Bible says it's a gift or it's nothing. It is a gift or it's nothing. All right? Now, in this, he, he, through 6 through 10, he he makes a couple of more phrases that I think is actually pointing to something. Verse 7, he says that he's doing all this. He's given us this gospel. He's reconciling us to him in order that in the coming ages, we're in those times now, okay? We're, we are, this was 2,000 years ago. We are part of those coming ages. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Isn't this interesting? Have you ever thought about this? Like, we are the, it's kind of invisible, this reconciliation. Nobody outside can look at you and just see it necessarily. They can see the light and the freedom. They can see it, but you know what I'm saying. But he wants it to be observable. He wants in the coming ages for, he's done this. He's given us this reconciliation with him so in the coming ages it can be seen. It can be demonstrated. It can be exhibited. It can be noticed. Verse 10, he even says, for we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. To do good works. So this verse starts with, we were sinning, we were doing bad works. Okay, evil works. And we've moved through the gospel, and we've changed. We're intended to do good works. He always planned for that to be. What are those works? Verse 10 leaves a question to me now. What are those works that he intends for us to do? What is this in verse 7? What is this demonstration So you've probably heard many sermons, like I said, on on verses 1 through 10, but it doesn't end there. The whole chapter belongs together. Our NIV headings kind of mess us up here. uh, But it goes on to verse 11. And here we get to the reason he's recounting the gospel. This is why he shared the gospel. Because he starts this next piece, and he's going to get into the horizontal effect. I want you to listen to what he focuses on. Therefore, so that means... What I just said is connected to what I'm saying now. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles, remember we talked last week about the nations, different ethnicities, you who were, are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Pause. We're talking about two groups now. And they're both in this church, okay? 
and that, that he's writing in Ephesus, the Jews and then every other ethnicity. That Gentiles are just anyone who's not a Jew. Jews are those that track their lineage back to Abraham. Gentiles are those that don't. So it's inclusive of all race. He says, some of you were, you know, were called names. This word uncircumcision, right? When he said this, sometimes they would be called, the Gentiles would be called uncircumcised dogs. They were called names. You're going to, all through this, as I go through this, you're going to see why this tit for tat is our brothers of color. Hear this and resonate with it from our more recent history. But it's, it's consistent. It's consistent. We always struggle with these kind of things. So they called them names, derogatory names. They looked at them as outsiders. He says, remember, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Do you, do you think anyone in our, of our neighbors resonates with these words, separate, excluded, Excluded from citizenship. For, for foreigners. Do you think any of the people that qualify as our Christian neighbors would resonate with this? It's what he's addressing. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This is all social. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier. Who has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Pause. That is not happening in our world right now, is it? The dividing wall of hostility is good and well. And our politics are not in any time soon going to solve that. They benefit from it too much. We cannot rely on them. They are not trying to do this. And even if they were, they don't have the same motive and they do not have the same resources. That is the gospel. They don't have it. Anything they try will not accomplish God's vision, will not accomplish racial healing and unity. So by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and its regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. See, he wants them both to have peace. Whichever side of the equation they're on in the church, the end result is peace. That's what he's after. It's not what the world's after. That's what he's after. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Not in here. Not in his church. But fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
Church, this text is powerful because it helps us answer this question of what is the effect of the gospel concerning race? The answer, when the gospel is preached, when the vertical gospel is received by an individual disciple or a church family that is of Christ, when it makes its intended impact on that individual disciple or that church community that's of Christ, there's an effect. There's a visible social effect that happens specifically concerning race. Healing and unity. That's what happens in the wake of the gospel, the full gospel. Reconciliation happens. And so we don't do one without the other, right? We don't do this one and not this one. And we don't do this one and not this one. We don't preach the vertical gospel and, and contain the gospel message to just your salvation and you're going to heaven when you die. We don't do that because there's a therefore to it. It calls us to demonstrate it. Works that he prepared long ago for us to be a demonstration to the world of this gospel. And it's horizontal and it's this social healing and unity so we get to work on that. And the order matters too, right? As one preacher I listened to, Brian Lorette said, he says, we don't do social healing and unity concerning race or any kind to get to heaven. But if heaven has gotten into us, we do it. It's our work. It demonstrates the light of Jesus as we demonstrate in the church we are the light of the world. So as a Christian, both the gospel and God's vision of his church require us to proactively work against racism in order to intentionally become God's vision for the church. And that's this place of racial healing and reconciliation. Okay, so I've, like I said, I've listened to a bunch of talks and it, just so many good things. But there was one thing in particular that a preacher by the name of uh, Albert Tate. I fell in love with this guy instantly. Such a great communicator. And he calls this the, the full gospel. Now, we don't just preach the, the second part of Ephesians, right? That's the social gospel. You don't do that without the gospel. You don't do that. And, and this preacher said, if you don't want the world to run to the social justice crowd, then church... Do your job. If you don't want them to run to the, the nonprofits that are trying to address this but have attached to it some things that have nothing to do with the kingdom, then church, do your job. So you don't just preach the second half, but you don't just preach the first half either. And so he says that's the full, he calls it the full gospel scale. Okay, so I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to do it. So, uh, I want you to imagine we have it a piano, okay? I, I told Doyle I need a piano up here. He said no. And so I got one right here. Got one right here on my phone. So there is something called, I don't know the, if I'm saying this all right, musicians, I'm sorry. There's the, the scale, right? Here it is. I learned that's called a resolve, okay? That, that full gospel scale, that's the resolve. If you do the full scale, I mean, musical scale, you're going to get all that resolve. And, and you don't have to know anything about music, which I don't. And I can tell. You can, can't you? And you can tell when it's incomplete. 
Joel told me when I was telling him I was going to do this, he goes, you want to drive me crazy? You just stop there. He said in his house, his kids could do that, and he will get up from wherever he's in the house, and he'll go into that room where the piano is, and he'll go. He'll do that. because, And that's a very, I think, great analogy for what God wants from his church. We, We may be doing a lot of good gospel things, but we're called to do all of them. We're supposed to go all the way on the subject of race. Okay, and so there's the, there is a full gospel scale concerning race. But let me take it out of the race controversial arena. I hope it's not in here, but I know it is out there. And let me show you, demonstrate for you, the full gospel scale concerning the sin of stealing. Okay, and it's right here in Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, where is it? I have it somewhere written in my notes. Okay, here it is. So here it is. Ephesians 4.28. He who has been stealing, that's a sin, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Right. When, when somebody who is stealing meets Jesus, hears the gospel, they're confronted in why they are meeting their needs or desires through the act of stealing. They're confronted in that, that's wrong, so they change and they can declare, I am not a thief. Now, I will suggest, though, that that's just this far. I used to steal. I met Jesus and the gospel confronted that I'm not going to meet my needs or desires by stealing anymore. So I'm not a thief. There's more. Right? There's more. And there's more in this verse. It says, it says, but must work. Right? So it goes farther. The, the person who is stealing doesn't just stop stealing and they're done. The gospel's not done with its effect. He goes on. But I'm going to suggest that that just goes from, I'm not a thief, to uh, now I work. Right? Now I work. It goes farther because this scripture does. It says that, go ahead, Craig, doing something useful with his own hands. So he's, he used to steal. He meets Jesus. He confronts that he shouldn't meet his needs that way. I'm not a thief. I'm now working. I'm doing with my hands something redeemed that I used to do for stealing. And he goes on. That he may have something to share. So now I'm generous. This would have been a good one for Dole to preach. I know, I'm sorry. That's the full gospel scale. It does not stop with confronting the sin, meeting Jesus, changing the sin, and stop doing it. There's more now associated with that same thing. You're not just not meeting your needs by stealing anymore. You've not just started to work. You're not just redeeming your hands from doing sin to doing something productive. You're doing it in order to love your neighbor. You go from stealing to generosity. That's the full gospel scale concerning stealing. So what is it concerning racism? What's the full gospel scale? And I want you to know that when, and some of you did this last week, I didn't, I didn't accuse anyone of being a racist last week. I just said, literally, all I said last week was race is the church's business. And I had three or four of you write me or call me and, and tell a story to prove I'm not a racist. Okay, and I, 
Praise God. Praise God. But here's what that sounds like to our friends of color. I used to be racist because I'm of the world. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I met Jesus and that confronted those attitudes. So I changed and let go of my prejudice. Now I'm like Martin Luther King said to me. I judge people by the content of their content of their character and not the color of their skin. So I'm not a racist. It, to our friends and brothers and sisters of color, that just doesn't feel like enough. It's great, but it's not the full gospel scale. And their hearts know. We may not, because we're so defensive because the culture, but not in here, right? We want the full gospel scale. So what is it? I used to be racist, met Jesus. I confront those prejudices. I'm not a racist. I care about the experience of my neighbors. I want to see anywhere where anyone is wounded healed because of God's vision for his church. So I will be anti-racist. In the name of Christ, we are called to work against it wherever we see it. Whether it's in us, whether it's in our church, it's in our workplace, our schools, wherever it is. Not like the world is. They are doing a lousy job of it. They're doing a great job of bringing it as a subject, but that has just made a bunch of Christians tired. We don't get to be tired of this because of our Bible. And we are agents of the full gospel scale. Those who hear and receive the gospel do not just move from not to not being a thief, but all the way to actively and joyfully being generous. Those who hear the gospel and receive the gospel do not just move to not being a racist, but all the way to actively and joyfully being a catalyst against racism wherever they find it. The picture here, and I hope I've done a decent job of this in these two weeks. The picture of God is that he wants and needs all nations, all ethnicities, all races in order to be a horizontal demonstration to the world of the vertical gospel that the whole world needs. That's our witness. That's our testimony. So we don't get tired of this. We want to engage it because it's our work and we do it joyfully. We cannot wait to see the miracle of racial healing and unity be exhibited more and more. I thank God for all the ground that has been taken and I thank God for all the ground we get to take. That's what we get to be about. So I want to ask our elders to go ahead and move around the room as I finish up here with one more image. This one, I, I, it's, it's about my daughter being in orchestra, but I got this from Tony, Evan, Tony Evans. If you've ever heard him, he's another great preacher. So when my daughter was in middle school, she was in the orchestra at Crockett. And I would go early because I don't want to miss a beat. I don't want to miss a thing watching my daughter. And she's up there, and they're all warming up. And it sounds crazy, right? Like they're all, they've all got their different instruments and they're all doing their own thing and, you know, just, and it just sounds like a mess. It just kind of like the world sounds right now, you know, and so it just sounds like a mess and because they're all, I mean, they're all different instruments. They're all doing different things there and it just sounds like a mess until, until the conductor comes in. He's got that, I should have a wand, but, you know, and he clicks on the thing and goes quiet it goes quiet 
And then that conductor, is it conductor or director? Okay, conductor. He starts, and all of those different instruments come together in unity. They do not become one instrument. They do not become one instrument. They are not even all playing the precise same notes. It's a lot of instruments that have now have their eyes on the conductor. And they are on the same page. Literally on the same page. It's so cool watching them in unity turn the page. And they are, not, they are working in unity. Not as one single race. But in harmony. And something beautiful, this is junior high, it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> something beautiful comes through this diversity all coming together on that. So now, 2 Corinthians 5 says, so now, we, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's what we do. We no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Church, did you know you were a minister? You're a minister. You have a ministry. You have a ministry title. You're the minister of reconciliation. How's your ministry? How's it going? That is your calling. That is our calling. That's what we're about because we follow Christ. If we can help you, if, the, if you just need prayer in any of these areas, please come. That's why we do this. And if you just want to know more about this Jesus that we follow, that leads us to this, we want you to come. Let's come and listen to what we are singing to one another.